Chapter 9, A Question of Color That old nuisance of a Rachel Lind was here again today, pestering me for a subscription towards buying a carpet for the vestry room, said Mr. Harrison wrathfully. I detest that woman more than anybody I know. She can put a whole sermon, text, comment, and application into six words and throw at you like a brick. Annie was perched on the edge of the veranda, enjoying the charm of a mild west wind blowing across a newly plowed field on a gray November twilight and piping a quaint little melody among the twisted firs below the garden turned her dreamy face over her shoulder. The trouble is you and Mrs. Lynn don't understand one another, she explained. That is always what is wrong when people don't like each other. I didn't like Mrs. Lynn at first either, but as soon as I came to understand her, I learned too. Mrs. Lynn may be acquired taste with some folks, but I didn't keep on eating bananas because I was told I'd learn to like them if I did, growled Mr. Harrison. And as for understanding her, I understand that she's a confirmed busybody, and I told her so. Oh, that must have hurt her feelings very much, said Anne reproachfully. How could you say such a thing? I said some dreadful things to Mrs. Lynn long ago, but it was when I had lost my temper. I couldn't say them deliberately. It was a truth, and I believe in telling the truth to everybody. But you don't tell the whole truth, objected Anne. You only tell the disagreeable part of the truth. Now you've told me a dozen times that my hair was red, but you never told me once that I had a nice nose. I dare say you know it without any telling, chuckled Mr. Harrison. I know I have red hair, too, although it's much darker than it used to be. So there's no need of telling me that either. Well, well, I'll try not to mention it again since you're so sensitive. You must excuse me, Anne. I've got a habit of being outspoken, and folks mustn't mind it. But they can't help minding it. I don't think it's any help that it's your habit. What would you think of a person who went around sticking pins and needles into people and saying, Excuse me, you mustn't mind it. It's just a habit I've got. You'd think he was crazy, wouldn't you? And as for Mrs. Lynn being a busybody, perhaps she is. But did you tell her she had a very kind heart and always helped the poor and never said a word when T Timothy Cotton stole a crock of butter? out of her diary and told his wife he'd bought it from her. Mrs. Cotton cast it up to her next time they met and that tasted of turnips. And Mrs. Lynn said, just said that she was sorry it turned out so poorly. Suppose she had some good qualities, conceded Mr. Harrison grudgingly. Most folks have. I have some myself, though you might never suspect it. But anyhow, I ain't going to give anything to that carpet. Folks are everlasting begging for money here, it seems to me. How's your project of painting the hall coming on? Splendidly, we had a meeting of the AVIS last Friday night. They found that we had plenty of money subscribed to paint the hall and shingle the roof too. Most people gave very liberally, Mr. Harrison. Anne was a sweet-souled lass, that, but she could still instill some venom into innocent italics when occasion required. What color are you going to have it? We have decided on a very pretty green. The roof will be dark red, of course. Course, Mr. Roger Pye is going to get the paint in town today. Who's got the job? Mr. Joshua Pye of Carmody. He has nearly finished his shingling. We have to give him the contract for every one of the pies. And there are four families, you know. Said they would give a cent. They wouldn't give a cent unless Joshua got it. They had subscribed twelve dollars between them, and we thought that was too much to lose. Although some people think we shouldn't give, have given it to the pies. Mrs. Lynde. Sorry. Mrs. Lynn says they try to run everything. The main question is, will this Josh would do his work well? If he does, I don't see what is the matter, whether his name is Pie or Pudding. He has a reputation of being a good workman, although they say he's a very peculiar man. He hardly ever talks. 
He's peculiar enough, all right, then, said Mr. Harrison dryly. Or at least folks here will call him so. I never was much of a photographer till I came to Avonlea. And then I had to begin in self-defense, or Mrs. Lynn would have said I was dumb and started a subscription to have me taught sign language. You're not going yet, Anne. I must. I have some sewing to do for Dora this evening. Besides, Davy's probably breaking Merle's heart with some new mischief by this time. This morning, the first thing he said was, Where does the dark go, Anne? I want to know. I told him it went around to the other side of the world. But after breakfast, he declared it didn't. That it went down the well. Marilla says she caught him hanging over the well box four times a day trying to reach down to the dark. He's a limb, declared Mr. Harrison. Came over here yesterday and pulled six feathers out of Ginger's tail before I could get it from the barn. Poor bird has been moping ever since. Those children must be a side of trouble to you folks. Everything there that's worth having in is some trouble, said Anne, secretly resolving to forgive Davy's next offense. Whatever it might be, since he had avenged her on Ginger. Mr. Roger Pye brought the hall paint home that night, and Mr. Joshua Pye, a surly, taciturn man, began painting the next day. He was not disturbed at his task. The hall was situated on what was called the Lower Road. In late autumn, this road was always muddy and wet, and people going to Carmody traveled by the longer Upper Road. The hall was so closely surrounded by fir woods that it was invisible unless you were near it. Mr. Joshua Pye painted away in his solitude and independence that were so dear in his unsociable heart. Friday afternoon, he finished his job and went home to Carmody. Soon after his departure, Mrs. Rachel Lynde drove by, having braved the mud of the low road out of curiosity to see what the hall looked like in its new coat of paint. When she rounded the spruce curve, she saw. The sight affected Mrs. Lynde oddly. She dropped the reins, held up her hands, and said, Gracious Providence! She stared as if she could not believe her eyes. Then she laughed almost hysterically. There must be a mistake. There must. I knew those pies would make a mess of things. Mrs. Lynde drove home, meeting several people on the road, and stopping to tell them about the hall. The news flew like wildfire. Gilbert Blythe, poring over a textbook at home, heard it from his father's hired boy at sunset, and rushed breathlessly to Green Gables, joined on the way by Fred Wright. They found Diana Berry, Jane Andrews, and Anne Shirley, despair personified at the yard gate of Green Gables under the big leafless willows. It isn't true, surely, Anne, exclaimed Gilbert. It is true, answered Anne, looking like the music tragedy. Mrs. Lynde called on her way from Carmody to tell me. Oh, it is simply dreadful. What is the use of trying to improve anything? What is dreadful? asked Oliver Sloan, arriving at the moment with a bandbox he had brought from town for Marilla. Haven't you heard, said Jane wrathfully. Well, it's simply this. Joshua Pye has gone and painted the hall blue instead of green. A deep, brilliant blue that she had to use for painting carts and wheelbarrows. And Mrs. Lynde says it's the most hideous color of her building, especially when combined with the red roof that she ever saw or imagined. You could simply have knocked me down with a feather when I heard it. It's heartbreaking after all the trouble we've had. How on earth could such a mistake have happened, wheeled Diana? The blame of this unmerciful disaster was eventually narrowed down to the pies. The improvers had decided to use Morden Harris paints, and the Morden Harris paint cans were numbered according to a color card. A purchaser chose a shade on the card and ordered by the company number. Number 147 was a shade of green desired, and when Mr. Roger Pye sent word to the improvers by his son, John Andrews, that he was going to town and he would get their paint for them, the improvers told John Andrew to tell their father to get 147. John Andrew always averred that he did so, but Mr. Roger Pye distinctly declared that John Andrew told him 157, and there the matter stands to this day.
That night, there was blank dismay in every Avonlea house where the, an improver, improver lived. The gloom of Green Gables was so intense that it quenched even Davy, and wept and would not be comforted. Well, thank you for listening. Um, so this week, I actually did read three chapters, so I'll see you next week. And um, I hope you enjoyed. Bye. Yeah.